What if I told you that a deck in the metagame has more top eights than the next six ink combinations combined? Yeah, think about that. Is that healthy? I'm not here to judge the day. I'm here to show you the stats of the most successful decks so far in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. And some of these numbers honestly might be even more shocking than you actually even imagined. Have to get into it today. Let's start with the seventh most successful deck in the metagame, Amethyst Steel. Amethyst Steel is a deck that in the last few weeks has come up and had three different top eights for the last two weekends with several really solid finishes. A runner-up finalist in a 1.5k last weekend, a 1k winner this past weekend, and this deck we're looking at here that went 7-1 and one and finished ninth place overall in the 242-player Lorcana Play Network Pixelborn event. Amethyst Steel is taking everything that you can do from an Amethyst Ruby mindset but adding in the ability of conditional removal with steel. Having cards like Let the Storm Rage On, Strength of a Raging Fire, and Grab Your Swords, combined with, of course, the one and only Tinkerbell Great Fairy, proves to have enough interaction and removal from the ink combination to really steer off any of the aggressive strategies within the metagame. Adding in with the complete endgame of Beast and Elsa, along with the conditional Yzma, really just gives you just about everything you need to compete with this deck against anything else in the metagame. This deck really could be a jack-of-all-trades, but potentially a master of none, aside from the obvious, completely shut out all 1-1s and 2-2s across the metagame, never letting them see the face of the Earth. The Sorcerer's Spellbook adds on one little layer that, again, can give you the upper hand in the mirror matches, in quotation marks, with Ruby Amethyst. Amethyst Steel is a deck that has caught fire late in the metagame. In the first two weeks, there were no appearances of this deck whatsoever, but in the last several weeks, we now have had really solid finishes for a deck of this nature. This could be a deck that is... Honestly, the different point in a metagame, a deck that has been built of nature of which the metagame is approaching, and the ability to really put a wedge in all of it. I'd like to compare this deck to the Amber Sapphire deck of the past in Chapter 1, which kind of came through and started really giving Ruby Amethyst another issue in the metagame. A deck like this has the potential to do all those things, and there's still room for honest improvement on it across the board. But all in all, it definitely finds itself with only three top eight finishes so far, but it's definitely a deck that I think you're going to see more and more of moving forward, definitely depending on where the metagame goes and the understanding that this probably isn't even the best version of this deck yet, as it's still kind of new and growing, much similar to its counterparts that have already been established. We'll have to see how the deck does moving on, but in general, this is definitely a deck that I would look out for moving forward. Amber Ruby. Amber Ruby was another deck in the metagame that over the last several weeks we have seen more and more of it in top eights. This deck has now found itself in four top eights over the last several weeks, 
where again, in the opening weeks of the metagame, we have really not seen anything like this deck come to fruition. Much like the Amber Ruby of the past, this deck truly leans on the fact of utilizing cards like Lantern, Stitch, Rapunzel, and of course, the wonderful Zimba Protective Cub. However, Rise of the Floodborne gave us lots of new options to truly take this deck to the next level. Mufasa is the true standout. As you can see, this deck below is 55 characters, which is an insane number. However, when you're playing a card like Mufasa, and you have a game like Lorcana that has so many characters that come into play and have abilities that immediately impact the game, the need for actions isn't really as high as some other games you might have played. So when you have a character that has the ability of when this is banished, simply play, reveal the top card of your deck and play the next character for free, you may as well get the best bang for your buck. The addition of Snow White is another way to answer Be Prepared decks. Playing a Snow White or a Mufasa as a follow-up to a Be Prepared or even Mufasa before Be Prepared is a wonderful way to continuously move the game forward. Utilizing characters like the additional removal in this deck in the forms of Lady Tremaine, Maleficent, and Maui offer even more reach for the deck. This, again, may be Rapunzel's best deck in the current metagame. She has truly fallen off in Amber Steel decks because of the realization that it's very hard and difficult for her to utilize her ability to draw cards. In a deck like this, with high willpower characters and the Mother Gothel edition, drawing three cards honestly has never been so easy. Amber Ruby is another deck that honestly, out of nowhere in the last few weeks, has shown up over and over again, having two second place finishes in top cuts in 1K events and case events, and even more success elsewhere. Even in a single event in one week, we've seen two of them conquer a top eight. So because of that, this is definitely much similar to the Amethyst Steel deck that we just went over, where... Out of nowhere, this deck is really just showing up in metagames and letting it be known that the 55 characters are here to quest and find their way to victory. This is another deck that I totally expect to see more, on, more and more of moving forward with maybe even more interesting cards for interaction. This particular list here with the Radigan, a little bit of spice, and I definitely like it. Let's get into the next one. Emerald Amethyst finds its way into five top eight events so far in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. Emerald Amethyst has found its way into five top eights in the current Rise of the Floodborne metagame. Another Amethyst deck utilizing the Madame Mim Merlin package to truly move itself forward in games and really kind of punish opponents all, all the while. This deck is a true embodiment of what Arthur can really do for you. Having cards like Pascal that are hard to get rid of, the addition of Enchantress and Flynn Rider as solid two lore characters that constantly pressure the game early alongside Pascal really help you move the game forward. What's most interesting about the ink combination is the end game for the deck and the potential that it has written all over it. In this particular list, we see 
the end game of Cusco and Genie, but I've already seen decks that play Yzma and Pete, potentially even John Silver, more inkable options to better leverage uninkable cards early on, such as Pinocchio. Emerald Amethyst has always been the budget deck of choice, and in this set, it made, honestly might even be cheaper. The real truth is, the deck doesn't even need Cusco to be successful whatsoever. You can go even further low to the ground, play more 2-lore and 3-lore characters early on in the game, truly pressure your opponent, and win most of your games by turn 4 or 5, or put yourself in a position to be able to finish the game with Goat and Bounce. Uh, I've seen versions with Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo as well. All of these are truly a threat to the metagame because you're just finding a way to pressure the game so early, hide some of the most powerful lore gainers for cheap as well. Utilizing cards like Befuddle, Bounce, Arthur, Madame Mims, the list goes on for ways to protect your Maleficent and Pinocchios and honestly truly just be a true menace to any matchup you're playing. I believe this deck is another one that is ironically the fourth best Amethyst deck, but if you're an aggressive player, if you're an aggressive-minded player and you like that strategy, you love gaining lore as quickly as possible in games and not really ever worrying about challenging, then this is likely a deck for you. Picking up decks like this that can just turn their card sideways, gain their lore, and then really just play trickery with itself by bouncing characters back to their hand and replaying them and just kind of telling your opponent to figure it out. That's what this deck is really good at doing. And you might actually enjoy it if you want to give it a shot. The data in this video is taken from 13 individual events for 105 total decks because we used a tiebreaker to decide what the seventh best deck was. It's crazy to think that we're already this many top eight decks into the metagame to really even deliver this information to you. What I'd love to know is what you find most frustrating about the metagame so far. Let me know in the comments, and I'd love to really have the discussion because I think if this metagame might be even more frustrating than the Chapter 1 metagame, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Of course, if you're enjoying this information, if you haven't yet, smash that like button for me. If you're new to the channel, you like information like this. We do this weekly, monthly, all the time, honestly, for different versions of these meta reports. Smash that subscribe button for me. Let's get into the next best deck. Amber Amethyst comes in with six top eight appearances so far in the Rise of Floodborne metagame. This deck is the epitome of pedal to the metal, gain lore, and end the game before your opponent has any chance to ever react to it. Pinocchio, Arthur, the Madame Mims, and Merlins are the perfect combination of cards to truly be low to the ground and gain as much lore as possible with the addition of Lilo and Maleficent and the wonderful Protective Cub to protect you at all cost. This is a deck that we have seen evolve slightly over the last few weeks since its big win in GalaxyCon as we've seen even more of these decks now top eight events and be successful. If you're looking for a full breakdown of this list, I think you should check the description of this video. I had an entire interview with Kate herself as we discussed the Amber Amethyst strategy. Definitely check out that for more information on this list in the description. Sapphire Ruby was the most talked about deck in the metagame before Rise of the Floodborne was ever even released. 
Hiram and Popsicle, along with Nick Wilde and friends, truly warped the metagame before it ever began. A card like Hiram went from being a $1 starter deck card to a $15 rare overnight. Nick Wilde, for a period of time, was a $5 uncommon. And Popsicle itself, although there were three in the starter deck, still found its way to being a dollar at times and a $10 foil. The draw power of this deck truly exceeds any other deck in the game. A turn one popsicle can net you so many additional cards seen in a game that it's honestly unbelievable and really created a metagame within itself, which was probably its biggest own worst enemy. The popsicle deck has found itself into six top eights in the first month of the rise of the Floodborne metagame. Honestly, this might have been the most talked about deck for several weeks leading into and up to and right after the Rise of the Floodborne official release. Really, this deck draws a ton of cards and it has the ability to really pressure opponents. The honest factor is that even in its best games, playing out as many resources as possible with Fishborn Quill, being able to consistently play removal cards like Letty Tremaine, like Hades, Infernal, Schemer, like Maleficent, Monstrous Dragon, sometimes it's still found a way to just be able to end the game. And that's the scary thought about this deck, is while it drew so many cards, you can only play one card a turn most of the time, and the card that you were playing was really only ever good for two lore. And then on top of that, when you were forced to play Be Prepared, it feels great because you can do it so early, but your deck has a really tough time kind of just adapting to the Be Prepared turns. The difference between this deck and the more successful versions of Ruby so far is that even when you Be Prepared, you have great recovery and great ways to move the game forward, or while you're banishing characters, you're still getting other additional effects. So while this deck was truly, I mean truly hyped to start the metagame, it's found itself in high numbers of played, but low numbers in success. For the amount of decks that played, or for the amount of tournaments that had probably 5 to 10 to maybe even more Ruby Sapphire decks in the meta, and only came in coming away with one, at most, maybe two of them in top 8, is really why this deck isn't even better than it truly could have been. I spoke about this last week in the meta report. I do believe there are versions of this deck that can still be very successful. I just think that most of the play for it right now is too straightforward and really not enough forward thinking or adaptation to what the metagame is now doing. So again, if you can draw this many cards, you just got to make sure you're drawing the right cards, which means you got to make sure you're playing the right cards. Amber Steel comes in with a grand total of 23 top 8s in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. The interesting thing about Amber Steel, unlike most of the decks we've already looked at, is that it's the first deck that we can truly discuss and say there are two versions of it. And I believe amongst the community there's an actual real debate about which version is the better version. At PAX Unplugged, Sleepy's Flute had a coming out party where it took itself from being one of the only decks in the entire field of 64 players playing Sleepy's Flute 
all the way to a grand finale win, defeating not one, not two, but three Ruby Amethyst decks in its way from top eight to top four to the finals to win Packs Unplugged. However, many in the Amber Steel community still weren't sold on Sleepy's Flute and therefore have continued to choose Lantern in its place. The two decks, while can play quite similar, one version is generally 12 to 14 songs and the other is 18 to 20 songs. When you replace that many characters for songs, you need to best be able to utilize Sleepy's Flute to the best of its ability. So, the question will remain moving forward about which of these decks will end up being the better version. If you're an Amber Steel player and you're watching this, I'd love to know what side of the fence you're on. Hit me up in the comments, let me know. Sleepy's Flute, Lantern, and why? I want to know. I think it's a really interesting topic. I think even on my own team, the Forbidden Mountain team, and players that we work with in events, I think it's a true discussion point amongst us that either one of these decks have the ability to truly win a tournament, which we've already seen multiple versions of Amber Steel be successful in very large events. Lantern, very powerful card. Sleepy Salute, very powerful card. Both of these decks have different, honestly, different pressure points in games, depending on how you mulligan, how you draw, how you approach different matchups. I think this is really one of the more interesting concepts of the Rise of the Floodborne metagame, realizing that in Chapter 1, we basically only had Rockstar Surfer Lantern versions being the end-all, be-all best versions, and there wasn't really any other way to play the deck. Sleepy's Flute and 20 Songs kind of introduce a different way to really mold your way through games with Amber Steel. Love to hear your thoughts in the comments below. Okay. I know. It's crazy. Um, big shock, right? Big, big shock that the best deck in the game is Ruby Amethyst. But can I tell you how good it is and how much better it actually has proven to be at a success level of Rise of the Floodborne metagame? Well, what if I told you that it had more top eights than the last six decks? combined that's right it has more top eights than the six other decks in this video combined that's insane let's talk about it ruby amethyst has had a grand total of 49 top eight successes in the rise of the floodborne metagame so far to date it sounds like almost impossible for that number to be true. In the in the reported events that we utilized the data for this video, there were more than four events that consisted of at least six top eight decks that were all Ruby Amethyst. When you start putting those numbers together and really looking at side-by-side -side comparisons of the success rates of other things, it truly means that the combination of Ruby Amethyst is without a doubt the most consistent and most successful deck so far in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. However, the interesting thing to note is the idea that there are three different successful versions of the deck. There are Arthur versions, versions that leverage Arthur and LeFou to truly win out and combo out games, 
with the addition of the normal endgame that we see from all of it. Be prepared, Lady Tremaine's Maleficent Dragon, the Madame Merlin package, Surfer Mini, all of the things are the same, but we're adding on the fact of getting additional value out of Arthur. Then we've seen versions with the Sorcerer's Spellbook. Some versions as much as having three of them in their deck, being a more, even more controlling deck, playing more removal and spot removals, the Tremains, the Maleficent Dragons, the Bee Prepareds, maybe even some going to, to the extent of playing cards like Dragonfire, all relying on gaining one or two lore a turn through spellbooks while just controlling the board at every other aspect, with, of course, the utilization of Maui and Fox. However, in recent weeks, we've now have seen in back-to-back -back events where a couple weeks ago, the finalist, Colby, was able to take down a 1.5k event and not play Arthur or Spellbook. We also seen it again happen this week in the top eight of the 242-player Pixelborn event, where there were all sorts of different versions of Ruby Amethyst consisting of all three of the concepts of this deck. The idea that you can have three pseudo-different strategies for the same ink combination and all be honestly severely successful within a metagame is really an interesting point. The true idea here is that Ruby Amethyst has got a lot of power. And a lot of that power comes from four cards. Madame M. Stake, Madame M. Fox, Merlin Goat, and Merlin Rabbit. Those four cards alone have really conquered the metagame across so many different Amethyst decks. The addition recently of Merlin Crab only added to the whole combination of it. We're seeing up to, honestly, 20 cards in a deck that are either Madame Mims or Merlins. When you start realizing that and just looking at the vast majority of the metagame and realizing I have a card that gains me lore outside of combat. I have a card that gives my characters plus attack. I have a card that when I play it, it draws cards. And then the idea that you can double down on that effect and utilize all those effects when the cards leave play, not when they're banished, not when they go to the inkwell, not when they return. No. When they leave play, so utilizing one within themselves with Madame Mims, with Arthur, with any other route that you want to take, in all honesty, is the idea that Amethyst is running rampant on the metagame in Rise of the Floodborne. And the biggest culprit of it is when being paired with Ruby, because adding in the additional removal with Maui, with Tremaine, with Maleficent, with Be Prepared. There's so many veils of safety nets for this deck that it's honestly really difficult to just consistently combat. And that's why, without a shadow of a doubt, with 49 top 8 finishes, Ruby Amethyst is the best and most successful deck in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. It's honestly insane to me to think that we are already a month into the metagame and the success rate of certain decks are kind of crazy. However, the good news is that there are decks on the rise. Amethyst Steel and Amber Ruby are two decks that didn't really even exist in the first couple weeks, but in the last couple have found its way into some truly successful points in the game. 
Will they be able to be the difference makers and truly flip the metagame upside down? That remains yet to be seen. But for now, there is promise within those decks, within the Amber Steel strategy and figuring out the best version of that deck. The real truth is that every deck that has been successful so far, at this point in the game, I don't think that any one of them has found its best version, its best 60 cards. And that's the real takeaway from this. While, yes, Ruby Amethyst has been unprecedentedly insane, I can't think of a better way to say it, there is still a way uh, and a potential that that deck has losses. That deck has not won every single event. Although it's had four or five or six versions of it in top eights, it's not even won in those situations. So because of that, you have to note that decks like Amber Amethyst have the ability to pressure out Ruby Amethyst. Decks like Amber Steel Flute have shown the proof that they can take down events and just beat Ruby Amethyst along the way. Popsicles has the ability to outdraw. If there's a way for Popsicles to morph its version to be a more aggressive and consistent lore-gaining deck, you may find a whole different way to play the deck and really be ahead in that matchup as well. I think moving forward, you're going to have to see versions of decks really come out to be as consistent, and that's the most difficult thing. However, if you can catch, if you can capture moments in games or certain specific points in games where you can leverage your deck against Ruby Amethyst, I do believe that we're going to see less of them in top eights and more of, and the potential for more creativity moving forward. Here, as always, listed on our website, we have every single deck that we've discussed in this video, along with every deck that we added to the total analytics of this entire turnout. 49, man, 49 top eights, Ruby Amethyst, and the next closest is Amber Steel with 23. That's a shocking and astounding number, and it's definitely something we're going to be breaking down on the next podcast. With addition of all this fun reports, I'm going to have a fun video on cards that are most successful as well. And no, I'm not going to be boring and just make it the best 20 cards in the game and 18 of them are Amethyst cards by default. We're going to have a little fun with it. But if you enjoyed this video, please be sure to hit the like button for me. If you haven't yet, check out this video right here because I'm sure it's just as helpful as this one was when breaking down the meta. And last but not least, hit subscribe if you haven't. Thank you guys so much for watching, and we will catch you in the next video.